Well, it is wonderful to see you this morning. I've seen already so many familiar faces, and I've been able to hug a lot of necks. But uh, it has been a long time, and I think the last time I was here was nine years ago, and uh, the last time that I served here was ten years ago. So it is a joy to be back and be with you today. As we get started this morning, why don't we open up with a word of prayer? Lord, I thank you that your grace is there and through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray today as we look at your word that, God, you would uh, take someone who's foolish and, God, that you would show your wisdom. And Lord, I pray that in my weakness that you would be my strength. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity today to be with friends. And Lord, I pray today that all of us would be encouraged through your word. I pray, Lord, your spirit would take it and God do a work within us. And Lord, I pray today that you would do what I cannot do. I pray, Lord, that you would convey truth and Lord, that you would work upon hearts. Lord, I pray today that we would find all of our hope in Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, if you'd open up to Romans chapter 15. I've had an amazing time this week being with the student ministry, and they put up with me for a whole week, and it's just been great. I I was so blessed to uh, get to know Jason, and uh, I'm just so encouraged about his leadership in this ministry here. And it's always a joy to be with my sister, whom I love dearly, and my brother-in-law. And I agree with Eric. I look at him more like a brother than a brother-in-law. So it's just been great. I can't tell you, uh, yesterday I was driving around. I wanted to drive up where mom and dad used to live up near a tramway. Went up there, and uh, as Eric said, a lot of emotions. I had no idea how coming back to Albuquerque would be a different layer of grief and a different memory. But I, I was thinking about it as I was driving around and I'm very grateful for the opportunity that God gave me now looking back to see that God allowed me to serve with my dad. And those are memories that I will cherish forever. And so the time that I had here was not only a time of great joy to serve with you, but uh, now that I've lost my dad, I, I just look back at that time and I realize that God gifted me those years. So I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful. Uh, there's a picture of my family getting ready to pop up. There really is eight of us. And so if it does pop up, there they are. It's, uh, so you can't see them really well, but, but you can see Ellie's my oldest girl. She's 12. She just got braces. So be praying for her. My uh, 10-year-old is on the opposite side. He is named is Luke. He just went to student. He went to kids camp. He never took a shower the whole week. And Andrew's below him. He loves to fish. That's all he thinks about right now. And then you've got Abigail. Abigail's in the middle. She had her ballet recital the night that was taken. And she is six going on 23. (laughs) And then you've got Will, my redhead, down at the bottom left. And he loves Darth Vader. And that's sort of strange. But And then my my brand newborn is Ben. And Ben is just glad to be here. And, uh, and there's my beautiful wife, Anne, and we're so thankful for God's grace. We did only have two when we were here. We have six on purpose, I told the students, but uh, we're so blessed to have a family. 
that uh, we just love dearly. You know, I'll thank you very much. You know, the date that changed everything for me in the last couple of years was May the 5th, 2016. Dad had been going through some difficulty, and we knew something was wrong. We were suspecting that he had something. We were hopeful that what he had was a thyroid problem, or maybe that he had uh, diabetes, or maybe that he had something going on, like where he needed a hip replacement, a knee replacement, but something wasn't adding up. He started losing weight, and as he lost more and more weight, it just began to get scary in the thought of what may be going on behind the scenes. He went to the doctor May the 4th in Chattanooga, and after he got back from Romania, he got back, he preached 25 times in Romania, got back, he fell like four times in Romania, got back, and we had lined up a doctor to see him immediately. He went to the doctor that day on May the 4th, and it was a positive visit. Uh, He left that day. I called him and he said, you know, he told me today, I said, what did he say? And he told me, he said, this is not a bleak picture. He said, we have got some things we got to figure out, but this is not a dark picture. He said, but just to make sure, I want you to go to a neurologist tomorrow and we're going to do some tests. Well, I knew he was going in that next morning. I had a meeting with the worship leader in our church and I was sitting in that meeting and I saw the phone ring. On my phone, I looked down, it was my mom. And immediately, my heart stopped. I picked up that phone, and immediately, I knew that things were drastically changing. I walked outside. I told the students this week, that was the hardest week of my life. Harder than the week that I lost my dad. That was the week I realized that things were changing in a quick way. I'll never forget it. I I was lost. I was devastated. I can't tell you uh, the kind of relationship I had with my father. It was beyond anything that you could describe. It was beautiful. It was uh, a kind of relationship that I only dream that I'll have with my sons and my daughters. But you know what? At the end of that week, I have another mentor in my life that I regard as a family. He was my basketball coach in college. And after crying in Huntsville... After driving around, I was lost. And I remember texting him and I said, Coach, we got to talk. And I remember telling him, I said, Dad's got a bad report. They think he's got ALS. And I'll never forget, it was a Friday night. I was sitting there watching the NBA playoffs. And I don't know why I remember this, but the Portland Trailblazers were playing the Golden State Warriors. And it was midnight. And he called me up. And we started talking. Everybody in the house was in bed. And we started talking. And he said, Stephen, I want you to open up your Bible to Romans 15. And we got in Romans 15, and and Coach Mo began to walk me through that passage. He immediately started drilling me on the passage. What's the context? What's going on here? And we started unpacking those verses. And that night, God began to use this passage, not only in the season that I was in then, but I think really began to instill within me that this is a type of passage that needs to guard our lives. This morning, we're going to look at a message entitled, The God of All Hope. The God of All Hope. And in the time we've got this morning, I want to look at five observations about hope that we see from this passage. If you'll read with me, we're jumping into a passage. We're jumping into a context. And when we look at Romans chapter 15, we've got to remember that Romans begins, like most of Paul's letters, very doctrinal, 
and then turns to the ethical. Because in, before you can ever understand the commands of the Christian life, you better be rehearsed in the blessings. If you don't understand the blessings, the commands will never make sense, and you'll never understand the power through which we now obey God. And he comes into Romans 12, and he begins to transition and really explain to them how they're to live in light of the promises that God has given. We come down into Romans 15. Today I want to read to you verse 13, just verses after Paul is describing that Messiah is the center of our hope. And he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The first observation I want to look at with you this morning is true hope comes from God. Immediately, notice what the verse does. May the God of hope fill you. When we think about hope, I wonder how you would define it today. How would you define hope? What does that mean? You know, we think of hope as in the world sense of things that we long to see happen, things that we long to deliver in our lives. You know, we think about hope in a worldly sense, and it's iffy. There's always things we hope, but we don't know if they're going to be true or not. We don't know if they're going to come to fulfillment or not. But in the biblical sense, hope is very different. Hope is a confident expectation or trust in the promises of God. It's interesting because this morning we are all hoping for something. It's interesting. In Romans chapter 1, do you remember that passage where it says in verse 18, you don't have to turn there, I'll read this to you. But in verse 18 it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But if you read down a little bit further, you get to the heart of the matter. It says down in verse 25, and it gives the understanding of what's going on here. It says in 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. It's so interesting because this morning our hopes are either found in the creation or the creator. Our hopes are found in the things of this world or our hope is found in Christ. It's humbling to think about and reflect. This morning, where is your hope? Is it anchored to the creator or is your hope anchored to the things that's really not an anchor. I think about this, and, and this morning, I, if you can relate with me, so often my hopes are related to this world. Anybody else in here besides me? Don't leave me alone. But you know what? We find ourselves finding hope in our degrees, hope in our knowledge, I mean, some people, I was joking with the teenagers, I don't have this problem, but some people put hope in their looks, in their fitness, in their houses, in their money markets, in their investments, in their spouses, in their kids. I mean, you name it. 
And, and what's crazy and what's sobering is this, is that the hopes that we give in this world, the hopes that we anchor to in this world will always disappoint. They always disappoint. But the hope that we have that is sure and concrete and steadfast in Jesus will never fail us. This morning, do you realize it's because there was a God-man who came to live and die in our place? There was a God-man who came to be our substitute, who came and did everything that I was required to do and everything that you were required to be. Christ did it perfectly. He did it 100% to the glory of his Father, and he died in our place as our substitute. They buried him in a tomb. He rose from the dead. Forty days later, he ascended to his Father. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, when our hope is anchored in him, it will never be shaken. It is steadfast. I love what one of my favorite authors, I love him because he's a counselor and a pastor. He's been here before. Paul Tripp says this, we all do it. We place our hope in things in this fallen world that simply can't deliver. Your spouse can't make you happy. Your job won't make you content. Your possessions can't satisfy your heart. Your physical health won't give you inner peace. Your friends can't give you meaning and purpose. When our hopes disappoint us, it's a sign that we've put our hopes in the wrong things. Again, I ask you this morning, the, the tough reality is this. This is a da daily question. And I find myself so many times as a pastor struggling in my own weakness and in my flesh. And I find so often that what I'm hoping in needs to be changed by the Spirit of God to be put on the eternal. We look in the scripture, he is the object of our hope. Psalm 146, verse five, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. He is the author of hope. First Peter chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But we see even in this passage that our hope centers on Jesus Christ. I love it if you look at the verses preceding this. And it says in verse 10 of Romans 15, it says, and again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him, in who? In Messiah, in Jesus. In him will the Gentiles hope. Hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. But the second observation I want you to see is hope is connected to grace. Hope is connected to grace. We get there, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What's going on here is that we see that this hope is outside of us. 
This hope is something that we can't get on our own. If you think about how many of you lately have gone somewhere and realized by looking at your fuel level that you desperately need to get gasoline. Some of you are a lot better at that than I am, but I almost run out of gas all the time. It's depressing. But you know what? I was here in Albuquerque the other morning and I realized I better get gas because I have no gasoline in this car. I went to a fuel station to fill up on gasoline. Now here's what we have to understand. Hope only comes from God and we need hope. And the only way we receive hope is through the grace of Jesus Christ. I love it because Eric, I heard him preach one time years ago. I've never forgotten this illustration. He was talking about in John chapter 1 when it talked about grace upon grace, that the idea in the grammar there is literally like watching waves hitting the shore. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. This morning, if you lack hope, be encouraged. It's found in Christ, and he's the God of all grace who loves to give hope to those who call on him. He's the one who gives it. He's the source of it, the giver of it. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have to understand how sobering this is. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. At one time, we had no hope. Of course, we had hopes in the world, but those hopes disappointed. Those hopes faded away. But the author of hope came that we might have hope. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see this connection of hope and grace. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Good hope through grace. Did you catch that? Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. You may be confused. You may be thinking, I thought we received hope at salvation. Well, you did. I did. But what we've got to understand is, even though we might be positionally as those who've received hope, are we living out of that hope daily? Are we living out of the practical hope that we have in Jesus? The hope that is sure. The hope that brings confidence. The hope that accompanies joy and peace. The hope that will get us through our darkest times. It's a hope that only God gives, but it's a hope that's connected to grace. He wants them to experience this reality. The third observation this morning, hope has friends. You may be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Well, look at the verse. Now may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. Hope has friends, and the names of the friends of hope are joy and peace. Eric mentioned a story I hadn't thought about in years, but I grew up, and I moved to Chattanooga with my family when I was eight. And I met my lifelong best friends in third grade at Woodland Park Baptist Church in the youth group. And JJ, Doug, and Mickey, I still call them. They sometimes still act like they're eight. <laughs> but you know what? When you, if you could go back in time 
and you could be around Chattanooga in 88, 89, and 90, if you were looking for me and you found me on a summer afternoon, you were going to find JJ, you were going to find Doug, you were going to find Matt, you were going to find the group of us. We were always together. And here's what you got to understand. And this is not something original with me. This is one of Coach Moe's words of wisdom. I'd never seen this before. But that night as we were talking that Friday night, when I was miserable and just deep in grief, it hit me. When you see hope, there will always be joy and peace. You cannot have hope without joy. You cannot have hope without peace. This morning, if you have joy, I got good news, you got hope. This morning, if you're walking in peace, I got great news, you got joy and you got hope. I'm getting confused saying them this fast, but you get my idea. Joy, hope, and peace, they all hang out. They're all connected. I love it because I heard dad speak so many times from back here. I heard him say, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, and what do we learn there in Galatians 5.22? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then what? And what? Peace. And you know what he always said? He was like, you know, you can't isolate those. It's a cluster. It's not individual ones. It's not that you experience some of them. The goodness of Jesus Christ is that by his grace as his life is becoming ours His grace enables those fruits to be a cluster. They all work together. You know, what is joy? I I wrote down these definitions. I copied them. Listen to this one. I like it. Inner joy, regardless of circumstances. Inner delight in God and his sure promises that gives comfort and contentment. Knowing our sovereign God will work all according to his plan. What's peace? Inner contentment and freedom from crippling anxiety and fear that comes from being reconciled to God. I mean, this is amazing. It's that these all work together. But here's the reminder this morning, and it's not just something I'm pointing a finger at you. It nails me all the time, but it's given by a God who's kind that leads me to repentance. This morning, where there's no joy and where there's no peace, you find a person not experiencing hope. Could it be today that the Spirit is taking this passage and revealing to your heart that the lack of joy that you have, the lack of peace that you have, is basically showing the fact that your hopes are attached to the wrong thing? If your hopes are attached to the creation, you're never going to live a life of joy and peace and hope. But God, through his goodness and through the power of his word, I love this because we'll see it in a moment, but even in this passage, he speaks about one of the ways that we gain hope is by looking at the scriptures in verse 4 of Romans 15. And what's beautiful about that is as we look at the word of God, it brings about faith within our life to believe in him and experience these things, which leads us to our fourth observation. The house of hope has a front porch. The house of hope has a front porch. If you're coming to my house today, 1334 Lookout Mountain Drive, if you were going to go to my front door, you have to go through the front door by accessing the front porch. You cannot get into the front of my house apart from using the front porch. Well, listen to this. The house of hope is accessible through only one entryway, and that entryway could be entitled belief. 
Look what he says there in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? Believing. How do we walk in joy and peace and hope? It's, it's the way that, that God gives throughout the word of God. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Hebrews eleven six, 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Galatians 2.20, I know you've heard that passage over and over and over, and you know what? We need to hear it over and over and over. And what does he say there? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The beauty is, he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I live by faith, dying to my own agenda, dying to my own life, my own lust, my own pride, my own way. And and through the grace of God, being persuaded to die and believe in his word. It's running to God and saying, God, I need grace to believe that your promises are indeed true. Will you give me grace to bow and to believe in this? Will you give me grace? Will you give me the faith that I need to live saying yes to you? But the beauty is, is that God works through faith. God works. He he does it in a way that, that is truly amazing. How many times have you ever done this? Have you ever had something that was yours, but you couldn't access it? Maybe you were locked out of your garage and you needed your golf clubs. Maybe, and you, maybe there's a glass window on that garage and you're looking at them and you're thinking, they're mine. This morning, I just, it just, I just was, you're probably thinking a lot of your illustrations have to do with losing things. Well, that's sort of me. This morning, me and Jonathan were leaving the house and I got out and shut the door and it was locked. And I said, oh man, I got to get my computer cord. He looked at me and I looked at him. I said, you don't have a key, do you? And he says, nope. And I looked at him and I was thinking, my cord is in that room right there. But I couldn't get to it. Why? I needed to access it. I had to use a key to appropriate what was theirs that they were giving to me. I had to, and and, have you ever been to an ATM machine? And you got your card, I'll get Ann's card, my wife, and I'll forget her code. I can't remember if it's one, one, I'm giving you my code, so just take notes. One, 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 or I won't tell you which one. One, two, three, four, and I can't remember. And I'll get to that ATM machine, and they got like a three-limit dummy test. And I'm like, oh, no. I mean, you get, it, you get it at Walmart, and there's people in line looking at you like, who is this redneck, and why is he standing there? And I'm looking at it, and I'm hitting the wrong code, and it's like decline, decline. And that money in that account is mine. But how do I appropriate it? Through that pen, let me ask you something this morning. How do you appropriate the joy and the peace that is yours in Jesus Christ? You appropriate it through faith. It's the way that you read, if you can't read the Apostle Paul and not understand that God was bringing this man to a place of desperation as he realized more and more who he was not. And he realized more and more the goodness of Jesus Christ as he bowed his life in dependent obedience. Obedience can be self-righteous, 
But when obedience is built on dependence, it's always built on faith. And when he died to his own way, and in obedience depended upon what God said, it was always there. The last observation this morning, hope has a delivery system. Hope has a delivery system. Tonight, Lord willing, I'll get back in town about 10 o'clock and tomorrow morning we're running a basketball camp. And right now we got about 135, 140 campers. And we ordered basketballs and it made me nervous because have you ever ordered something and you weren't there to receive it? And then it goes through a whole network of whether or not you're going to get the package re-delivered. And so they do a good job of delivering it. We do a bad job of being there, right? And so you get nervous because sometimes what you need delivered doesn't come at the right time. Sometimes it comes, but you're not there. When it comes to the things of God, we need a perfect delivery system. And the good news is that the delivery person is none other than the Holy Spirit of God. And look what he says here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I love this because the good news of the gospel is that the God of all hope has a delivery system that's always on time and always works. It always meets our needs. I love it because you could go back to Ephesians chapter 1. In verses 15, down to the end of the chapter, where Paul's praying a prayer for the saints at Ephesus. And as he prays for these dear people, he wants them to understand that the power that God will give through Christ is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's a power that's appropriated through belief. In chapter 3, in that prayer, in verse 14, down to the end of the chapter, he does the same thing in different words. And he tells them that the way that they are going to experience strengthening in the inner man is as they allow Christ to dwell in their hearts through faith. But the beauty is, is that God is so merciful and so gracious that as his grace leads us to bow, his grace and his power are always ready to deliver exactly what we need in Christ. I was reminded this week as we looked at Philippians at camp. And you know one thing we saw as we were looking at it is that Paul was a man in prison. This morning, if I tell you that you're going to prison as soon as lunch is over today, based on a false charge, I don't think anybody's going to get real excited about that. If you go to lunch and you go home and you end up in prison this afternoon, chances are you're going to be tempted to lose all hope but we find a man writing from Rome to the church at Philippi and we look at his life as he writes that letter to people in another place, as he writes, you know what he experiences? He's got joy, he's got contentment, he's got perspective, he's got hope. I love it because we see that lived out in the Apostle Paul. This morning though, I wanna share with you, you know, I wanna testify to you of the reality of God's hope that I've seen over this last year. It got really rough after that May 5th announcement that the doctor wasn't sure, but he thought dad had ALS. Eventually that would be proven to be true. But you know what? I'll never forget riding to the endocrinologist one day and I was with dad and 
I want you to be encouraged by this, not to elevate my dad, but my dad stood in this pulpit for nine years teaching this church that Jesus Christ was enough. And I got the privilege as his son to watch him in his weakest moments and to see the reality of the message he preached. And that ought to bring a loud glory to God. I remember going that day to the endocrinologist and I said, Dad, why do you think this is going to happen if you've got what we don't want you to have? He looked at me and he said, well, he said, God's going to do whatever brings him the most glory. I remember as the days got tougher, after he had surgery, we were really, I told the teenagers, we were so excited. Things looked like they shifted immediately. He walked down the hall. He was weak, but he walked heel to toe, and he had drop foot develop in his right foot, and we just knew that that meant that his cervical compression was causing all of his problems, and I can't tell you how overjoyed we were on June the 6th after his surgery, but about a week later, things started to deteriorate. And through the therapy visits, through the doctor visits, through all the uncertainty, I saw a perspective, and it was as if God was whispering in my ear as I watched my dad in his own struggles, in his own weakness, but as I saw him, by the grace of God, depending on Jesus, it was as if the Spirit was wanting me to understand that if my dad's hope would have been found in preaching, he would have been in despair. If my dad's hope would have been found in his health, he would have had to quit. If my dad's hope would have been found in the people that he loved being around, he couldn't be around them any longer, he would have wanted to quit. But it was as if, as I watched him in his most difficult dying moments, that the Spirit of God was wanting me to understand when our hope is built on the unshakable anchor that is found in Christ, we will stand even in our weakness. I say that to you today not to put my dad on a pedestal. He would be nauseated at that. But I say that to you to put on a pedestal the Lord Jesus that he preached. Friend, today, I don't know what you're dealing with. I've got a lot of things going on in my mind this morning that you wouldn't even begin to understand what I'm thinking as I walked in here. Things that go beyond just situations with my dad, but life. And if I have a funny feeling you're just like me. We all come in and there's a lot of stuff going on. Can you relate? I mean, we've got a busy mind. And many times people never know what's going on in that mind, thankfully. But you know what? I want to encourage you today, as you're tempted to place your hope in the things that will disappoint, be encouraged through the scripture that the God who breathed and created this world and breathed his word to us is the God that will never disappoint. This morning, true hope comes from God. Hope is due to his grace. Hope is always close by with joy and peace. Hope is appropriated through faith, but God is always faithful to deliver. Would you bow your head with me this morning? I'm going to pray, and then Eric's going to come. But today, be encouraged, friend. If you're feeling weak, 
You've got something in common with everyone in here. This morning, could it be that by the grace of God, we would be able to say, God, I'm struggling with hopes that are found in this world. And oh God, I need you to give me a hope that is anchored in Christ and his life-giving word. Lord, I pray as Eric comes that you would take your truth. And oh Lord, I pray that you would take what I've sought to teach others, Lord, and I pray that you'd burn it in my own heart. God, I thank you that you're faithful. Lord, I thank you that you're better than the hopes of this world. And Lord, while those hopes never deliver, you're so faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray.